would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. As you're turning there, I want to point out um, one of our sister churches in our community today has a really special day and the Kind of one of those landmark days for them. So First Baptist Church Madison is having uh, their their pastor come in view of a call today. Uh, that is a special day for them. It was almost five years ago that I was standing here uh, anxious and excited uh, in view of a call for this church. And uh, just to know, like what we want, just so you know, we want all of the churches to be healthy churches, right? We want for First Baptist Madison to thrive and grow, and we want them to reach more of Madison for Christ. And so I just thought it would be good for us to pause. Uh, this brother's name is Breck Ladd. Breck is coming uh, from Fairview Baptist in Columbus. So we want to be praying for First Baptist Madison. We want to be praying for Fairview Baptist today. Both of those churches who are, uh, there's there's a, a turning point for them. Change is on the horizon for them. And so I just thought we would start. I know we just prayed, but we like to pray here. Um, so we're just going to Say a prayer for Breck and for First Baptist Madison that God would use this time well for them. And then we'll jump into Exodus 17. So, so pray with me. God, we thank you for how you use the local churches to really be a display of the, the full body of Christ. And we're thankful that, that we get to consider that our First Baptist Madison, just around the corner, kind of down the street, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ first, that we are not in competition with one another, that in fact we have the same goal, to make your name known in all the earth. So we pray that today would be a day of joy and celebration, that it would be a day of unity for First Madison, that they will uh, come alongside, that they will support and encourage uh, Breck, and that they will, again, that he will preach your word this morning with boldness and clarity. Let not uh, the angst or nerves or any of those things, even if he is preaching right now, God, I pray that you would just give him a sense of peace as he proclaims the truths of your word. May all of that be a display of your name. In, in fact, God, we pray for the church that he is leaving in Columbus. We pray, God, that they would be strengthened and encouraged by seeing your hand at work. So we pray all of these things in your son's name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, I want to ask you this question. It might sound like a, uh, like a, a question that you hope is answered one way or the other, and uh, it's, it's rhetorical, so you don't have to raise your hand either way, right? So the question is this, are you a hindrance or a help? Are you a hindrance or a help? And you might even wonder, like, toward what? Am I a hindrance or a help toward what? And I would say, are you a hindrance or help toward the mission of God, toward following God's commands? Like, do you get in the way of the mission of God. That's a hindrance, getting in the way. Are you, maybe the other way, to, the positive way to see this, are you used by God to make his glory known? Are you, are you saying yes to being used by God to making his name known in all the earth? 
something I hope you'll see today in this text is that the Lord provides what he determines is best. But our request to him and, and our response should be in line with his goodness, with, with his uh, grace that he provides for us. So ultimately, right, we want to be a help. That's what, that's what we want our answer to be. Yes, I, I'm a help to, for the glory of God. I'm, I'm a help. I, I don't get in the way. I don't block other people from hearing the truth of God. In fact, no, I, I'm one who declares it. I'm one who proclaims it. The, chapter 17 is interesting because it, when you first, if you were just reading all of chapter 17, it is, it is certainly broken into two different stories, two different uh, evidence, like the real stories uh, that, that happened but they don't seem really connected other than the characters, the people in the story. And so you might think these are, are not connected at all, but what I want to present to you today is that in many ways, these are like a compare and contrast. In, in some ways, this is two contrasting stories. Remember, these are, in fact, you'll see some things in this that are miraculous. And they will feel like, oh, that's just one of those, like, uh, that's good for a novel, right? These are interesting stories, but these are true, real things, actions that took place. And so we want to see and celebrate how God worked. So situation number one, we'll call, we'll call that the first part of chapter 17. Situation number one, there was a miracle. And the miracle was water coming from a rock, right? So let's read chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Scripture reads, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So this is the miracle. If you didn't catch that, the people were thirsty. This is not new. We just had the, a very similar thing happen when the, the, they were really thirsty for days and they get to water, but the water we, we realized was uh, what was called bitter water or what was really like uh, still water. It was water, dead water that they could not drink. And they 
Uh, Moses throws a log in the water and it becomes sweet. It becomes living water, water that they could drink, right? So this, it goes from like dead to alive. It's pretty miraculous. And so now they're thirsty again. And so in typical uh, Israelite fashion, as we have seen in the book of Exodus, page after page, they complained. I say typical Israelite fashion, but sometimes when you do that, it's really better for us to hold up a mirror, right? Because in typical people of God fashion, in typical followers of the one who has seen the miracle, experienced the miracle, literally like, I say literally, they, they weren't pages away, but we look and it was just the last page. Like the story hasn't gone that far. They just experienced God giving them water when there was no water to drink. And what are they doing? Complaining yet again. In fact, if you, if you look at Psalm 95, you don't have to turn there, but this, this is referenced even in Psalm 95. He says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah at, on the day of at Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Here's what happens. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Okay, so catch this. Later, so this happens in Exodus. In the Psalms, this story is referenced. Because the people of God are again not trusting the Lord. They're doubting again. You know, I don't know if you ever think this way. I always think like, where would I? If, if I were in these days, where would I get, in, would I get in the Bible? And if so, where would I fall? You know, we want to land in like the hall of faith. All the people, like we want to be the Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs. And we want to be the Moses. We want to be like, ooh, these guys, Moses, David, Daniel, Joseph. We want those, like by faith, by faith, by faith. I think like Chad, by complaint. Like, right, I think that's where I would land. I would end up landing in this place of just like where I'm not trusting him. I fear that's us too much. You know what, what the people did? Look at, look at verse 2. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? You see, they demanded God's provision. This is not just a, a complaint of, um, hey, we're thirsty. Um, hey, could, could you get us something? Hey, God, it would be great if you could help us out here. No, no. Give us water to drink. Not asking not pleading, not even begging, demanding. And you kind of wonder, like, what audacity. Kind of a who do you think you are, people? You just 
demanded that of God. Do you ever feel like you deserve something that really is grace? Grace, by definition, is getting something good that you do not deserve. But they were saying, I deserve this grace, this goodness. I deserve this from you, God, so give it to me and give it to me now. They demanded God's provision and they questioned God's protection. Look at verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled. This word grumbled is used like three or four different times against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They're they're going back to the same old ways. This is not their new pattern. Like This is the, the regular for them. They keep looking back to the thing that used to be that they were complaining about then. Take me back to the thing that I didn't like, because at least I did, didn't like it. I mean, like, there's not even a, like, it doesn't even make sense, right? Hey, I was going, like, before it was, we are going to die. Then the plagues come, and they're like, well, this is terrible for us, too. And then the plagues go to just the Egyptians, but they get, they have to do harder work. And so they're like, please take that away. And then he actually releases them, and they get to go to freedom. And, and as they're going there, like, are you really going to just take us here so that the Egyptian army would, would kill us? You should have just left us there. Then they cross the Red Sea, and they're like, we don't have any food to eat. We should have just been left there. Our water's not sweet enough. Well, you should have just been left there. Over and over and over again, they keep looking back to what used to be what they think was better because right then, right in that moment, they're not getting what they want. So God, you're just not, you're not protecting me the way I want you to protect me. Ultimately, what's happening is that they doubted God's presence. Right? They are Asking the question, is the Lord among us or not? Verse 7. And now remember, they're currently being guided by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Like they are getting their directions from a miraculous, like tornado-sized pillar of cloud and fire that, that... Two million people can all see at one time. The presence of God is actually visible for them in in these pillars. They're, They're seeing it and saying, I'm not sure if you're here. What? They're currently actively being protected from their enemies. They are not being slaughtered by the enemy. I'm not sure if you're here. They're still, as we speak, as we get to chapter 17, they're eating manna that just shows up every morning. I'm not sure if you're here. And yet, that's, that's what they're asking. Is the Lord actually with us or not? 
we're visibly, tangibly, we're touching things that are clearly only from God, but we're just not really sure. You ever ask that question? Are you really here, God? You're healthy. You have a job. Maybe you maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're not really that healthy. You got food on the table. You got a roof over your head. Maybe none of those things are happening, but right now you're currently breathing. We just sang a song that says, it's your breath in our lungs. He gives us the very breath in our lungs, and we have the audacity to look back at him and say, are you really here? We're, we're eating food day in and day out. I don't know if God's really providing for me. We're, we're like cozied up in our bed with, uh, well, what's Mississippi? I was going to say the heat, but the air condition is on and two fans. And we're saying like, is God really here? Right? Is, is, is he really here? Is he really giving me what I want, how I want? I want you to catch the result, though. Because, because what happened, right? So you've got a miracle, and then there, the people complained. It seems like no normal. But then there's a result. What happens next is that the Lord provided what was needed. Look at verse 5. The Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take your in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of elders of Israel. Isn't God's grace unbelievable? It's just further evidence that we, in our humanity, are nothing like God. When people treat us that way, you know what we don't do? We don't give them water to drink. People complain to us. I mean, even the employees at Chick-fil-A don't do that. Right? They do not say, my pleasure, after that conversation, is a see you later. Right? Like, this is, this is incredible. They are whining, pouting, complaining, saying, give me what I want now. And God says, okay. I don't know about your house, but that is not how it works at my house. They are ready to desert him. They're ready to abandon this whole rescue plan, go back to Egypt where they will surely die, where they will surely go back into slavery. They are ready to go back there. God says, no, I'll give you the water you need. This is a picture of grace. A picture of getting good that you do not deserve. What happens with that? Moses obeyed the Lord. This was a part of the result, right? Verse 6, Moses did so. Now, I will tell you there is a similar circumstance in fact, uh, when I was first getting to this text, I was looking for uh, 
this one particular part, and then I realized that the story I was thinking of actually happens in Numbers chapter 20, in which Moses does not believe that God will provide the water, and he even claims that he and Aaron will have to bring out the water. This is the one where Moses uh, hits the rock twice, right? He says he strikes it twice. It's like in anger. Uh, but his disobedience there leads him to not being allowed into the promised land. You say, wow, that seems pretty unfair. He's done a pretty good job all the way up to Numbers 20. Two things I want you to remember. This is not even, this is like, uh, what do they call it? Lanyap? This is extra, bonus. One is that the promised land is not heaven. So just because he didn't get to go to the promised land, like, it's okay. Second of all, God's grace is never dependent upon our action. And his mercy is never given due to our righteousness. So remember that, that Moses' punishment was deserved. And not just because of that one circumstance, but just period. But in this circumstance, in this one, Moses does what is right in the sight of the Lord. He actually obeys. He follows the instructions given to him. Moses did so. Far too many times, that's not said of us. Far too many times, it's not said, Chad did so. Far too many times, right? Insert your name. That's what we want to be said of us. That we did so. Whatever the so was. So as a result... Of that, there was a stone of remembrance, right? There is a, a placing, a naming of this place. Verse 7, he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, you might be looking and say, I didn't see anything about a, a, a stone there. What I want you to notice is that in naming the place, he's declaring this is something. This is a place that I want us to remember. He's actually trying to tell them to remember that this is where we did wrong, but God was gracious anyway. This is where we complained and pouted and demanded of God, and even still, God was gracious. So, so let's all circle together, name this place, and remember, like put a stake in the ground, that God was gracious despite our disobedience. And sometimes I think for us, we need to plant that kind of stake in the ground. Put a stone of remembrance and say, you know what, I don't want to do that again. I don't want God to be gracious because like, even though I did wrong, I want God to be gracious as I obey him, as I do what is commanded of me. I want God to, to pour out his blessing, not in spite of my disobedience, but in my obedience. I'm going to plant a stake in the ground. Maybe some of you need to plant a stake in the ground today and say, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop doubting. I'm going to stop uh, worrying and fretting and fearing and all of these things. I'm going to start trusting God today. I'm planting a stake in the ground today. Today, stone of remembrance. And it doesn't actually have to be a rock that gets picked up and placed down on the ground. It could just be that you named it. This day, May 14th, 2023, this day, 
from trusting in Jesus. I'm going to move away from this, this way that I've been leaning on my own understanding. No, I'm going to trust in the Lord. So now we have this contrasting story that begins in verse 8. It says this, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and on the other, the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The miracle here is victory in battle. Now, there's two reasons, honestly, that this victory in battle is so miraculous. One is that the Israelite people were not trained warriors, not, especially not at this point. There's no evidence whatsoever that they had that kind of training. They should have lost to the Amalekites by all sense of not, like, like this was not a battle-ready army. But even greater still was this miraculous of the holding up of the staff, right? Staff up, the Israelites are winning. Staff down, Israelites are losing. And so Moses gets tired. So they get him a seat. I mean, it was an uncomfortable one, but it's one. And then his hands get tired. So Aaron and her come beside him, holding up his arms. Because he can't, he can't do that by himself. So this miracle, right, we do see that this is a miracle. This is something that clearly God is doing. They shouldn't have won, and they won at the visible picture of a staff in the air. So what, what's taking place before, right, the people complain? But in this situation, the people supported. This is a, maybe a, right, I said there was a contrast. This is the right way to respond. Yes, Moses was chosen by God. We have established that. That was something that took place certainly in the beginning of Exodus. We see this calling out of Moses. And he's equipped by God. Right, even, even how he is instructed by God, told what to do by God, and given this staff that uh, he is using on repeat that has God's power on display through this staff. So he's chosen by God and equipped by God, but he is supported by man. 
There are people that are coming, being used by God who are coming alongside to help him do what he cannot do by himself. Don't just think that because you have been given what you need from God, that you do not need friends or that you do not need the church. The church is part of his provisional plan for you to have what you need. God's manner of supporting you as an individual is by placing you in the family of God that you might not be alone. And that's not just talking about singles. It is, but not just that, right? It's not just for you to try to parent alone. It's not designed for you to try to completely solve your marriage issues alone. It's not so that you could even as children obey your parents alone. So you look to your left and your right and you see other people walking through this journey of following Christ together. I was thinking about this, like this actually means being here. It's hard to look to your left and right and find other people walking with Christ if there's nobody to your left and your right. It wasn't that long ago that we remember looking, I remember looking to an empty room, talking to a camera. We, we learned not too long ago how much we really did need each other. And it doesn't just happen, I, I, I love this room, it actually is the place that I get to talk the most, right? Uh, I, I love this, but there, there should be more than just this. There should be more than just that you walked in here, came in, got greeted, and walk out. No, that's why we have designed uh, the, the, the best way we know how, these, these smaller groups, we call them life groups, where, where you get to be invested in more particularly, and you get to invest in others. You get to do life in a group together, right? It's the people that, ah, uh, like, that, that celebrate with you, that rejoice with you, that cry with you, that weep with you. When the hard times come, you, you want someone to weep with those who are weeping? You need somebody to put your arm around? You want, I mean, even just like a regular Sunday and you want to go to lunch with somebody, you got to have your people, right? It's like we're not designed to do this thing alone. Moses wasn't designed to try to lead alone either. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But it isn't just that Moses uh, is supported, but even, even more particularly, I guess, Joshua gets brought into the picture. Joshua followed the leadership. Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. You know what you don't hear there? Joshua looking back to Moses and saying, I think I should be at the top of the hill. Why don't I get to be her or Aaron? Why don't I get to hold your arm? I want to do that job. No, Moses says, hey, Joshua, I need you to lead the army down there. And Joshua says, okay. This is the first battle. It's actually really the first mention of Joshua. This is a pretty big first for him. I mean, we know lots about Joshua, but later on. But right here, 
he's displaying not just his desire to obey Moses, but ultimately his desire to obey the Lord, to, to follow after him. So Joshua follows that leadership, but Aaron and her sustained the leadership, right? Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Now, I want to be careful. This is not the direct meaning of the text. I want to be careful here, but I do see that this is a healthy application for me that I need you to hear. I cannot lead this church alone. It's, it's an impossibility. To use these words, my arms will fail. I'm not wise enough, strong enough, uh, smart enough, and there are not enough hours in the day to do this job by myself. So I am incredibly grateful for elders, staff, deacons that come alongside and serve in a variety of ways. I think about elders that, that care very particularly, shepherd, they're, they're, they're teaching, they're explaining, they're talking, they're, they're caring for the needs of those in the church, of you. I think about staff that are planning different details of events and activities, ministry work that is happening, age group ministries that are taking place. I, th I think about deacons that aren't just greeting at the door, but they are serving in a variety of ways. Even right now, there is a part of the deacon ministry called the Aaron and Her Ministry where they are currently praying for this service as it's happening. Lifting up, like, like, uh, in a way, holding up my arms, right, before the Lord. I can't do it alone. You say, of course you can't, Chad. But once again, I think it would be wise for us to hold, hold up a mirror. Maybe some of you are trying to do it alone. It's Mother's Day, right, moms? Some of you are in the, the thick of motherhood. And you need a reminder that you cannot do it alone. We are incredibly grateful for you. But sometimes uh, that, that super mom status means you don't, you think you need to do it without a sidekick. Some of you are thinking, tell my husband this. But, but some of you might need to remember that you need to ask for help. Others of you might actually be going alone, like you, you might be single moms, and you need to know that your church family is designed by God to be here walking through life with you. You know, I, I, I understand that maybe we're not tucking the kids in at night with you, but maybe you need us to. Maybe sometime you need help with the laundry. Maybe sometime you need help. Man, it's, it's, it's a miracle that we make it to practices and games and recitals and, and all of the things. Uh, and, and we've got extra family around. Maybe you don't. But you need to know. I need you to hear this. 
do have extra family around. That's why we're called the family of God. This is why we're called brothers and sisters. You know, I'm very close to my, my brother and sister. They, they both live in Birmingham. This coming week, I'm driving to Birmingham to help my sister move, right? Why? Because it's my sister. You, well, if you knew my sister, you'd do anything for my sister, right? You just, you, I'm going to help, of course. That's how we should look at each other, not just for moving day, but for all the days. I, I, I need help. I need you. Can, you. can you come alongside me? Can we have a meal together? Let others hold your arms. And on the days you can, you hold theirs. All right, so what's the result? I got to get to it. The result. Once again, the result is that the Lord provided what was needed. Shouldn't be a shock to us. This is the pattern that God does. God gives what is needed. So what happened in verse 13? Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. The Israelites win the battle by the hand of God. Again, again, we compare and contrast. What happens again? Moses obeyed the Lord. Moses built an altar called the name, the Lord is my banner. He has not just been obedient in raising his hands or holding the staff up. He is being quick to give credit where credit is due. As soon as the battle is won, he says, we've got we've to raise a stone of remembrance because God was once again faithful. Right? That is it, a stone of remembrance. And again, you might not see that term. We think of this uh, in Ebenezer kind of way, a stone of remembrance. But there's an altar, and he names it again. It's as though he plants a stake in the ground. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my protector. The Lord is my guide. The Lord is my leader, my Lord, my Savior, my rescue. He, this was designed to remember the, that the people supported that the people did what was right. Because right before, they had to plant a stake in the ground and say, this is the place where the people complained, but God was gracious anyway. Now they're planting a stake in the ground and saying, this is the place where the people obeyed and God was faithful. He, he showed himself faithful again. I wonder, like, have you thought about stones of remembrance recently? You might not even think about think that we do this very often, but we do. I was I was at a wedding yesterday, and the couple did not exchange boulders of remembrance, right? But they did exchange vows. They declared verbally to all of us there. They made they planted a stake in the ground. They exchanged rings, something visible that they could remember. They could look down at their hand, day after day after day, year after year after year, and say to one another. I've, I've declared, this is my person. We are it. We are no longer two, we are one. They, they've made that, planted the stake in the ground, stone of remembrance. Last Saturday, I was at the funeral of my dad's mom, and while at the graveside, we walked through the cemetery looking for the gravestones of my mom's parents. So they're, they're buried at the same cemetery. What, what were those? But stones of remembrance, literally engraved stones of remembrance. Why? 
Because it's worth remembering those people that shaped us and molded us. We use things in the church like family commissionings, graduations. We, we, we have been given what are called ordinances, the Lord's Supper. It's like a stone of remembrance. Every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's, it's to point back to what happened, Jesus dying for your sin and my sin on the cross. Baptism. This is the first stone of remembrance for us as followers of Christ. It's us verbally declaring that Jesus is Lord. It's us visibly declaring, planting a stake in the ground, that we are followers of His. I wonder, do you need to mark today with a stone of remembrance? Is there something... If baptism is the stone of remembrance for salvation, and you look to these stories and you see the faithfulness of God, you see the grace of God at work, God giving something good that you do not deserve, is it possible that today you recall or you acknowledge that you need the grace of God. That you don't deserve the goodness, the salvation of God. Because you've sinned, right? That's the, the word that says that we disobey, we've dishonored God and His commands and His ways. I wonder, have you ever actually chosen to follow Jesus? Have you ever... Are, are you right now saved? Saved from eternity, separated from God? A place called hell, are you saved from hell? Are you saved from your sin? Maybe, maybe you would say, yes, I have been saved, but I've, I've never been baptized. I've never followed through with that. I've never planted a stake in the ground like that. And, and maybe you've been in this place for a long time weeks, months, maybe even years, and you, you have just been saying that you are a follower of Christ, and you are, but you've never actually followed through with obedience and said, I'm going to plant a stake in the ground. This is the stone of remembrance. I'm going to, to be baptized that people will know that I'm a follower of Christ. Would today be that day for you? What's stopping you from that obedience? What's stopping you from saying, yes, I will trust in Jesus today. Yes, I will follow in his ways today. Um, I'm going to ask something a little bit different. Uh, and this is calling attention to some I uh, apologize for that in advance, but um, if you are uh, helping with our decision counseling room, if you could go ahead and head that way, whoever that is, if you could head here to the door. Um, and if if nobody is, is headed that way, um, if, oh, they're headed that way now. Thank you all. Um, in, in just a moment, we're going to stand, but I wanted you all to see that there are people here ready to receive you. 
ready to talk with you and pray with you. Right, that first question we asked was, are you a hindrance or a help? Those, those part in the first part of this chapter, right, they were a hindrance. They were complaining and pouting. I wonder, is that where you are? Are you complaining, pouting when you don't get your way? your first reaction, even to the, these questions that I'm asking, that is your first reaction, no, I, I, I don't want to have to do that. Don't, don't, don't make me be baptized. Or, or maybe even, no, uh, I don't, I don't want to believe in Jesus because if I do that, I've got to change my ways. Or are you a help? Do you jump into action where there is need? Do you support each other? Do you serve the body of Christ well? Maybe you're even hindering your own self from trusting in Jesus for the salvation that he provides. You're putting up walls, even right now. You're making excuses, like you're telling yourself the reasons you're not going to respond. You see, water was offered to the Israelites when they did not deserve it. And I'm telling you that salvation was offered to me when I did not deserve it. And salvation is offered to you even though you do not deserve it. You can't do enough good to get it. So trust in Jesus today. We're going to stand in just a moment and we're going to sing the faithfulness of God. I wonder if today you'll plant a stake in the ground. The reason I, I asked these to come forward it's because as we stand to sing, I, I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to delay. I don't want you to, to, to be slow moving. If you know that today you need to plant a stake in the ground that says, I trust in Jesus today, then I just want to ask you to, to come out, come down these aisles, shake one of their hands and say, I want to trust in Jesus. I don't know all of the answers to all the questions, but I want to trust in Jesus. And I, I'm not going to be embarrassed. Uh, I'm not going to be stopped. I'm not going to put up any walls. I'm just going to say I want to trust in Jesus. Maybe you want to come and say, I know I need to be baptized. I, I know I need to be obedient in baptism. So I'm going to plant a stake in the ground. I'm going to do that. Maybe you need to come use this, these steps. And, and this doesn't have anything to do with your salvation or baptism. You just need to come and plant a stake in the ground and say, God, I need to be obedient in whatever the thing you've been telling me to do that I haven't been doing. I'm going to plant a stake in the ground. Today is that day. I'm going to trust in your ways because you, God, are faithful. So as we stand, respond to the Lord as he is leading even now. Stand with us as we respond.